take us back The place we began The simple pursuit Of nothing but you The innocence of A heart in your head God take us back Oh God take us back To an unswerving faith In the power of your name A heart beating for your kingdom to reign A church that is known For your presence again God take us back Father, we come to you today God just desiring more of you Lord, we know that you desire The heart of worship You want our hearts And you want us to know, God, your heart of love, grace toward us. The sufficiency of what you have done for us in Jesus. For all who believe, receive, you give the right. We might become children of you, God. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have today to worship you, to receive from you, to have the opportunity to know you more. We thank you, Lord, for your living word, and we thank you, God, for your living spirit. And God, we just submit ourselves to you today and just Lord, tell you from our hearts, God, we're, we're listening, we're ready to, to receive, to believe, to respond to you. So we commit this to you. God, I pray for the many needs that are here today. Lord, you know each and every one of us. You know what's on our minds, what's on our hearts, what we're going through in life, Lord, and you care for us. And Lord, I pray today that we would just have the opportunity to remember your grace and, Lord, to really come to you with our needs and to give them to you in an honest way, to experience your wonderful promises that are yes and amen in Christ, your comforting presence, and Lord, your prevailing peace. Thank you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you guys this morning. If you got your Bibles, I would ask that you get them open to the book of 1 Samuel. The book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm Barrett Bowden, lead pastor here at ICC, and it is wonderful to see so many of you here in the room today. It's also wonderful to have you who are joining us online today. Uh, we are so grateful that you are with us. We are in the middle of a series called Kingdom Come. And what we're doing in this series is we're just walking through the book of 1 Samuel together. And this morning, we're going to continue our journey by looking at 1 Samuel chapter 2. We talked last week, I did some basic introduction and just explanation of helping you understand what we talk about when we're talking about the kingdom. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what in the world does that mean? What are we praying for when we are praying for God's kingdom? Well, last week what we talked about in the introduction, and if you miss any week, by the way, I would encourage you to go back and listen online. And I want to remind you also that this series is going to be twofold. There's part of it is here on Sundays, but then there's another part of it that's available through my podcast that will be released each week. So if you haven't called up from last week, introduction of why the Old Testament is important. Uh, tonight, there's an episode that will drop of how to actually study the Old Testament. If you're interested in Old Testament chronology or genres, or if you're trying to figure out how to even get into the text, you'll have practical opportunities by listening to the podcast each week as well. But last week in the sermon, I explained to you that the kingdom of God is the reign of God through Jesus in the hearts of His people. And what we're longing for when we pray that prayer, God, your kingdom come, is God, I'm giving you my heart. God, I want you to rule and to reign in me. God, I want you to have your way with me, Lord. I recognize who you are, and I recognize who I am, Lord, and I am submitting myself to you, and I am desiring you with everything that I are. God, I want to experience you. I want to experience you in my heart. I want to experience you in my mind. I want to experience you with my life. God, I want you. So we're recognizing God as King, 
And we're recognizing the opportunity we have to come back to God through Jesus Christ, to come out of our rebellion against Him. All of us at one point in life have rebelled against Him. Can I get a witness? All of us, right? All of us at one time knew He was God and yet turned away from Him because we wanted to do what we wanted to do. That the Bible describes as sin. But through Jesus, the announcement of John the Baptist and Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. There is opportunity through Christ to return to God. Praise the Lord for His incredible grace. And through Jesus, we recognize the opportunity and the invitation and we respond to it. And we say, God, I want to come back to you. You are my true king. So that's what we're talking about all through the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to be looking at what God desires in our hearts. And of course, I told you last week, one of the cool things about these books historically is it is the beginning of the actual kingdoms in uh, that time in the nation of Israel. So today we're in 1 Samuel chapter 2, and the message title today is this, Discipling Toward God, Leading Others to Know Him. Discipling Toward God, Leading Others to Know Him. If you've got your Bible we're going to start in verse 12 today, and I'm going to be reading from the, from the ESV. Hopefully you have your Bibles. If not, it's on the screen. This is where we picked up, we're picking up where we left off last week. It says this, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or pot, and all that the fork brought up, the priest should, would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I'll take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she, was, she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition that she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. And indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived, and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the young man, Samuel, continued to grow, both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus, says, thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to, to wear an ephod before me? 
I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever, but now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with an envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Well, this is God's word. Today, we're going to be talking about discipling toward God and leading others to know him. I want to go ahead and give you our core truth for the day, and I hope that you'll write it down. I hope you'll take notes uh, throughout the message today, because again, my heart is not just to have you listen to me, but really get to know God and get to know His Word, and hopefully begin to live in light of what God says. Here's our core truth for the day. I know in the Old Testament, sometimes it's as we're reading through, sometimes you might be left with a question of going, what am I supposed to get out of this? Anybody ever face that question as you're reading the Old Testament? Yeah. What am I supposed to get out of this? Well, well, all of God, God's Word is breathed out by God, and all of it is profitable. And in this passage, I really believe one of the main ways that God intends for us to profit is to, to, to see this. God desires us to honor Him with those in our care, so that they may truly know and walk with the Lord. God desires us to honor Him with those in our care so that they may truly know and walk with the Lord. Very interestingly, as we think about the way that the book of Samuel progresses, we saw last week the book open up with this story of this woman, Hannah, who in her infertility yearned for God to do something powerful in her. She yearned for the opportunity to have a child. And we talked about last week Hannah's incredible faith, and we talked about how God responds to those who do have faith. And we see at the end of the passage we looked at last week that indeed she got pregnant. And indeed, she, uh, after her pregnancy, she honored the vow that she made to the Lord that she would surrender her son Samuel over to God. Well, in fact, that happened. But as chapter 2 kind of progresses in the passage we read today, what we begin seeing is there is this obvious contrast, right, between her son Samuel, who eventually we're going to realize that Samuel is such a key piece of the redemptive history in this part of, of, of Israel's time, but even to this day. God is going to raise that answer to prayer, literally his name. He's an answer to prayer. He's going to raise that little boy up to be an incredible, he's the last of, uh, of the judges, and, and really he's going to be anointing the, the first king and then the second king of Israel. Uh, he's going to have a key piece in Israel's history and in the redemptive history of the Bible. But in the, chapter 2, we see a contrast 
between Hannah and her child Samuel, and then Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. If you're looking for baby names, everybody, there's two you could consider, except I wouldn't recommend it because these guys are bad dudes, all right? Um, And it's just kind of awkward. But over and over, if you look through the passage, you see these, these contrasts. Eli's sons, for instance, if you look at verse 17, they abhorred the offering of the Lord. Do y'all see that there? They abhorred the offering of the Lord. But look at verse 18. With Samuel, he's ministering before the Lord. With Hophni and Phinehas, they're committing evil deeds. They're in the, the tabernacle. But if you look at verse 26, Samuel is using the tabernacle as a place of worship as a place of growth, as a place where he's experiencing God's favor. You see uh, judgment that comes onto the house of Eli, but you see this blessing that comes onto Elkanah and Hannah's house, and ultimately blessing that comes onto Samuel. He he will be raised up by God for great things uh, that are happening there in their time, but also that we can appreciate even in ours. uh, This contrast could not be more clear. Y'all see it in this passage? And you've got to ask why, why it's there. And one of the things that I want to talk about today before we move on into the rest of the Samuel is, if you go back for me, is actually talking about how God desires for us to honor Him. You see that key verse in, in chapter 2 that He will honor those who honor Him, right? God wants us to honor Him with those who are in our care. Now, the immediate application of this passage is is for parents. And I'm so excited today that right at the end of our service today, we have the opportunity to actually have two different families who are here that are going to come and seek to honor God by dedicating their children to the Lord. What What a cool day. So, the immediate application of this passage is for parents, okay? But it's also got broader implications. It is for parents, and it, if you are a parent in the room, it is really important that you pay attention to what's happening in the passage, no matter what stage your children are in, so that you can seek to be a parent that really honors God. If you're not a parent in the room, one day you might be, and I would encourage you to save your notes, because one day you might go, I remember when Pastor Barrett said this, and, and we saw this in God's Word, and you will have opportunity to be resourced. But the whole church not just parents, the whole church is tasked with raising up children to know the Lord. So it is important for all of us, whether you're a parent or not, to be concerned that the kids that are in our midst are kids that really know and walk with the Lord. So it is important. It is important, parent or not parent. But it does have broader implications for anyone who is a disciple maker. If you've got anybody that's under your care, Anybody that's looking to you for spiritual influence and leadership, this passage gives us as parents and as disciple makers incredible opportunity to know what it is like to really honor the Lord. So there's four main characteristics that I want to talk about today of the kind of parent and disciple maker that God honors. Four things that I believe we can learn from this passage, and the first one is this, and again, I hope you're taking notes. God honors parents and disciple-makers who are, number one, intentional and not assuming. Who are intentional and not assuming. As we talk about this point, one of the questions that I would ask you is, what purpose, what purpose do you pray for your child What priorities do you want them to have? What are the specific prayers that you pray when you're rocking them to bed at night or when you drop them off at school or if you're an adult and you have an adult child and when you think about them? What are the specific priorities that you have? What are the prayers that you pray? As I look at this story There's a lot of grief. It's a hard story to read in some ways, right? It feels like a little bit of a tragedy, like when you're reading about about Eli. And I look at it and I go, there's just nothing clearly stated here that Eli raised his kids with a lot of purpose. Uh, 
it could be, I really believe that with Eli, like, I think probably in his heart, like, he really did want his kids to, like, know and walk with the Lord, but the question is, was he purposed toward that degree? I believe as parents, it is very possible, because I am a parent, and I deal with this myself, and I believe any of us who are parents, if we're honest, we could, we could admit to this. It is very possible to make assumptions about how your kids are going to turn out, that you just kind of think, well, they're going to be okay. They'll be godly people. They've been raised in a godly family. They've been raised in a, a godly church. They're raised in a, a God-fearing nation, some might say. Perhaps Eli kind of had an assumption that they'd turn out all right. But, but I wonder if he had a purpose, had a priority to ensure that indeed they would turn out all right. With Hannah, what we see is quite the opposite. With Hannah, if you think about her prayers, oh God, I'm praying for a son and I'm praying, God, I want a son. And when, if you were to give me a son, God, I want that son to have a purpose. I will render him back to you. God, he will be yours. He will walk with you, God. You hear the prayer and the priority, the purpose of Hannah versus just a lack thereof with, with Eli. Recent surveys here in America I put up a chart. I was reading this book uh, recently that Ashley Ferguson, our family director, showed me, and it surveyed parents across America. And the question is, what is the, what is the definition of success in your parenting? And if you look at the percentages here, 9%, only 9% would say, my child is godly or has faith in God. This percentage, by the way, if you, if you shrink the pool of, uh, of respondents down to just church-going people, this percentage only grows to 24% of church-growing people believe success with their kids is that they would know and walk with the Lord. 15% would say, my child will live independently. 17% would say, I want them to graduate from college. 19% would say that they would be a good person. 22% would say they would find success in life. 25% would say that they would be happy as an adult. And 25% would say that they, have, that they have good values. Well, the reality is, friends, that as if, if we want to experience God's kingdom to come, if we want to be parents and disciple makers who honor the Lord, we've got to be statistic defiers. We don't just need to go along with the way that culture is saying success and parenting looks like. We have to be purposed. Our church ought to be 100% scoring on this. The key to success in my child's life is that they would know and walk with the Lord. All of us, all of us together as a whole church family, we've got to recognize that if we are going to be successful in parenting, we've got to have our highest priority for our kids more than, more than soccer, more than ballet, more than making good grades, more than going to college, more than getting a good job or just being a good person. Our highest priority as parents and our highest priority as disciple makers, no matter who's under your care, is that you've got to see those who come after you know and walk with the Lord. It is the number one goal that we have got to have. Intentional not assuming. I could say it like this. Go on to the next slide. God desires us to have a purpose. God desires us to have a purpose for those in our care. What is the purpose? That they may truly know and walk with the Lord. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6 says to us that we are to train up a child in the way that he should go. In other words, there's a direction to our training. And the question is, what is the direction of your training? What is your highest priority? Now, I know sometimes, I know sometimes that it's easy to say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm really asking. Eli might have said, oh, yeah, yeah, my, it's a high priority for me. But look at, his, look at his boys. And again, it's not all Eli's fault. I know that children bear responsibility. Children are sinners and bear responsibility before the Lord. But we our parents, and we also bear responsibility before the Lord. We are disciple makers 
And there's a responsibility that God gives us. And the reality is, there's got to be a direction. We've got to have a training our children in a certain way, the way of God. 3 John verse 4. Looks like chapter 4, but there's only one chapter, so you just say 4 because it's just a verse. 3 John 4 says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I, I would just challenge you, if you're a parent or a disciple maker today, I would challenge you to embrace this as your vision of success. I have no greater joy than this, than to know that my children are walking in the truth. In other words, are walking with God. If there is one joy that you have, may it not be that your child graduate from college, or may it not be that your child just have friends, or your child X, Y, or Z, good at softball, or whatever it is. May it be that your child grow into a genuine relationship with God. Amen? Psalm chapter 127, verses 3 through 5. It's a passage that Ashley, our family director, who does a wonderful job discipling our kids and also discipling us to know how to raise kids that know the Lord. Uh, that's one of her main jobs is to teach us as parents. But it says this. She uses this verse a lot. Behold, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks of his enemies in the gate. I want to point your attention to this little section right here. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. This passage describes for us that children are like arrows. And I don't know if you've ever thought about your child like an arrow. But in other words, what he's saying is right now, your children or those who are your discipling are kind of in your care, and you have the opportunity to fashion and to shape your child like an arrow being prepared for battle. But if you think about an arrow, one day that arrow is not meant to, to stay in your satchel. It's meant to be launched out. So right now, what you've got to recognize is the time that you have is to be purposed to fashion that arrow in a way that one day it will be effective for the things of God. Hopefully, all of us are thinking about the opportunity that we have right here and right now to be fashioning our children, to be having a purpose and a priority that they may know and walk with the Lord. Let's don't make assumptions. Let's, let's don't walk in the way of what I believe was Eli. Let's determine together that, like I said in the statement, we're going to have a purpose for those in our care. And one of the things you can do if you're parents, I really believe that one of the best things you can do is just take time to pray. If you're a single parent, just yourself, if you're a couple, to pray together and to agree. Like Matthew 18 says, if two of you on earth ask anything in my name, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. You can just agree together. God, we are, we are praying for this just like Hannah brought Samuel, and he said, God, I'm praying for this in Samuel's life. I'm surrendering him to you for this. We can do the same in our prayers, and often our purpose and priority follow our prayers. What you're praying for, you will be purposed for, and one of my greatest encouragements, whether you're a parent today or one who's influencing children in your care or whether you're just a disciple maker is, I'm wondering, before you get to work, where's your heart? And do you spend time in private before the Lord or as a couple actually on your knees asking that, God, if there's anything else that you would do in my child's life for those who are in my care, God, I would ask that you do this. Would you bring them into an authentic relationship with you? Make that your highest priority. Number two. Number two. The second thing I believe that we can learn is not just to be intentional and not assuming, but secondly, to be spiritually authentic and not just religiously active. To be spiritually authentic, not just religiously active. If we are seeking to really honor God as parents and as disciple makers, one of the things that we have got to learn to do is to disciple in a way that is spiritually authentic, not just religiously active. When you look at the text, 
You know, one of the things that I, I think is so clear is what this is something has gone wrong with Hophni and Phineas. And here, here, this is a preacher man. Eli is a preacher man. I mean, if you think about my kids, Caroline and Emma, right? Of all the kids in the church, would you think maybe that my kids would grow up to know and walk with the Lord? What'd y'all think? You might make that assumption. It'd be a fair assumption to make. Because he's like, well, he's the preacher man. Of all the kids that would grow up to know and walk with the Lord, you would think Hophni and Phineas would be too, right? I mean, they are, they're literally growing up in the church, in the tabernacle. They're, they're in the church. They're around the church. They hear the readings. They hear the prayers. They're there. They participate. They're, they're physically present at all the festivals and all of the feasts. They help with the functions. They help with tasks around the building. They are the most religiously active family in all of Israel, probably. And yet, there's a problem. It could be that Eli perhaps made a tragic mistake. The tragic mistake that Eli could have made and that we can make is somehow equating religious activity to spiritual authenticity. Just because your kids are around the things of God does not mean that your kids are in relationship with God. And this is true of not just our kids, but it's true of anybody in our care. You can make an assumption that just because somebody attends church that they're a Christian, but like one of my old seminary professors said, just because you're in a garage don't make you a car. Being present in the church does not equate to having a personal relationship with the living God. Being active, being busy, knowing things in your head, having understanding of the kind of activities that you're supposed to do with your life does not always equate to having a meaningful personal relationship with God. It's true for you if you're here today. It's true for anybody that would be under your care. And as parents, it is certainly true for us with our kids. Statistics tell us that out of 10 kids today, 70% of them, 7 out of 10 kids who grow up religiously active in the church will drop out of church by the time they become a young adult. I'm not saying that to discourage you. I truly am not. But I am saying that to challenge you. I am saying that to wake us up. Because for too long in America and all across the world, I think as parents, we have made the assumption that just because we're involving our kids in religious activity, that that means that our kids have an authentic relationship with God. And parents, we can no longer make that assumption. It's not the same. I'm not saying that religious activity is unimportant. I do believe involvement in church and ministry is very important. But what I am saying is that God is not after our activity. He's after our hearts. And as parents, what we have to remember is that we have to check in constantly on our kids' hearts. I really believe that there are many families that grow up where they do church together on Sundays and they go home and then it's just a return to life as normal. Where essentially the only thing that the family is actually doing together in an intentional way toward God is just the activity of church. But you go home and there's no, there's no real conversation about the Lord ever around the dinner table. There's no follow-up to what was heard or taught that day. There's no, per there's no family worship, family prayer times. There's no real authentic conversation about sin and about grace and about need for God. And there's no real, it's just spiritually kind of lifeless apart from the activity of religious routine. And Eli, I believe, in some ways, equated the wrong thing and in some ways missed the opportunity that he had. Here's what I want to show you. God desires us. He desires us. This is, if you want to know kind of what this means practically, there's, there's kind of two main things. 
Number one, he desires us to know and walk with the Lord so that those in our care can truly know and walk with the Lord. That's the first thing. He desires us to know and walk with the Lord so that those who are in our care, whether it's our children or anybody else that's following after us, may truly know and walk with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. In other words, the model for discipleship is not, hey, uh, just, just go to church um, and, and hopefully you can, you can learn to imitate Christ. No, what Paul says is, hey, um, I want you to actually come and follow me. Like, I want you to really get to know me, and I want you to, to, to live the life that I live. I want you to walk in the ways that I walk. I want you to trust in the ways that I trust. I want you to, to basically know my whole life and imitate my whole life because I am following Christ. In other words, as a parent, one of the things that you ought to be able to say authentically is, hey, little Caroline, like, as you see Daddy, like, praying, as you see Daddy, like, talking about the Lord, as you see Daddy serving, as you see Daddy giving, as you see Daddy trusting, as you see Daddy grieving, but going to God with hope, as you, as you watch your Daddy, I want you, I want you to follow like me because I am genuinely seeking Jesus with all of my heart. So what I want for you is, is the same of what I would, would ask for myself. I just want you to, to come alongside of me and let's pursue Jesus together. That's got to be an authentic cry of our heart for our kids and for anyone that we disciple. When Jesus, when he called disciples in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, one of the things that he said, he says he appointed his 12 disciples so that they might be what? With him and that he might send them out. In other words, part of how Jesus made disciples, discipleship is a truth and a life transference. It's not just, okay, kids, here's what we need to know. All right, let's go on and live the right life for us, you know, however we want to. No, discipleship happens not just on Sunday mornings in teaching moments. You can teach your kids to be kind, but your kids listen to you and how you interact with other drivers on the road as you're driving down the street. And they learn more from listening to what you say about those people that you're frustrated with as you're driving down the street than they do what comes out of your mouth often and say, kids, be kind. You can tell your kids, be generous, but if they watch you year after year choose to hoard your money and never give it, spend it on yourself, trinkets and toys and vacations and savings accounts and stocks, and yet they never really see you out front taking something that you have and giving it away to someone in need, if you're never leading your family to be generous in action and in deed, they're going to learn probably something about generosity, but it may not be what you told them out of your mouth. It may be how you lived your life. I could go on and on and on, but the reality is, yes, it is truth transference, but our children learn from our lives. And one of the things that we have to be careful about is we have to, we, part of the incredible opportunity of shepherding other people is it challenges us to be more authentic ourselves with our own walk with the Lord. Y'all, can I get a witness there? Any parent ever caught themselves in a moment, I'm looking around now, where you go, uh-oh, they were watching me. <laughs> anybody ever caught themselves in a moment? Or with anybody that you've been discipling and you suddenly realize, oh, junk, it challenges us in a good way to be sincere in our pursuit of the Lord because it's not just what comes out of our mouth, it's how we live our life. So if you want to be spiritually authentic and to raise spiritually authentic, not just religiously active kids, then the first thing you do is yourself know and walk with the Lord. But the second thing you can do is this. God, you can know that God desires you to shepherd the heart of those in your care so that they may truly know and walk with the Lord. Not only should you know and walk with the Lord, but as you are discipling your kids, as you are walking with them, one of the things you've got to do is you've got to go after their heart. Go after their heart. Go after their heart. Go after their heart. Often as parents and as disciple makers, we can be tempted to deal in terms of behavior, but see behavior only as a gateway into the heart, because out of the heart comes everything in a child's life. It comes out everything in your life. And the key here is in every single moment of opportunity that we have with our kids, we have to go after their heart. 
This looks like making heart, heart-centered discipleship priority in our house. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, we see instruction that God gave His people Israel, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your what? With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In other words, what we're aiming here is for the total, the whole of life from the inside out. We want to love our God. And these words that I command you today shall be on your what? Heart. Now he goes on and he says this. Soon as he says it, verse 7 and 8, you shall teach to them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk in the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. He repeats this in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 19, a similar theme. He says, you shall teach these to your children. Talk of them when you're sitting in your house and when you're walking in the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, we got to see discipleship as the whole of life. It's not just the 10 minutes before bedtime. It's not just Sunday morning for a few hours. It's in all of life. So when we go out to the river as a parent, one of my chief opportunities and priorities is to say, Caroline, look at how beautiful the sunset is. Do you see the beauty of God? And to not do that in a fake way, but in a way that genuinely I want her to connect the beauty of creation to the beauty of God. In little moments and in big moments, in the simple drives to school, and even in the moments where I catch myself and I'm like, dang it, I sinned in front of my daughter. For me not to cover that up, but to say, to go to her in humility and say, Caroline, Daddy sinned against you, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And to have an honest conversation there about my sin so that she would not just think that I'm a great dad, but that I know a great Savior, and I'm as needy for Jesus as she is. In moments of her own sin, for me not to just force her into some, you know, I do believe in discipline, but not, I don't believe in discipline that, that's not aimed at the heart. Because ultimately, what I want her to do is to grieve her sin and to seek grace from God and from me, and ultimately to ask God that He would continue to change her heart so that next time a different behavior is resulting. That is what it looks like to really parent. It's in these all the time moments. And guys, what does this mean practically? This means that it's not the church's job to disciple your children. It's your job to disciple your children. It's the church's job to help you. So what we are aimed at pastorally and as a family ministry is, is desiring so much to equip parents to do the work of discipleship, because if a kid is going to really learn from life, then it's, yes, there's truth transference that can happen in a classroom, but so much of their learning happens in the day-to-day, and that's you. That's you. That's you. And that's true for any of us who are caring for children or anyone who are following after us as we follow Christ. That's why Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Who's Whose job is it? Is it pastors bring up the kids? No. Whose job is it? The fathers. In other words, he's saying to parents, recognize the opportunity you have to take responsibility. God desires us to shepherd the heart. So the second point we're talking about here is to be spiritually authentic, not just religiously active. Number three, the third thing that I believe we can see here from this passage about the kind of people that God honors are people who are parents and disciple makers who are invested, invested and not preoccupied. Invested and not preoccupied. One of the things that I grieve as I read this story here in 1 Samuel chapter 2 is you see with Eli this almost paralysis of, of leadership. And I wonder if perhaps, I think most of us as, as parents fall into the trap sometimes of just being busy. Anybody ever fall into the trap of just being busy? Anybody? 
Okay, some of y'all need something to do. <laughs> Just playing. I'm not advocating for busyness. Sometimes, as parents, we just feel we're just preoccupied. It could be our occupations. It can be, can I get a witness? This, this death trap where you just of endless scroll and you hear your kids, daddy, 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 and you're like, ah! But what they're craving is, daddy, 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 you're so preoccupied. Do you see me right here? Do, do you notice me? Are you invested in me? Sometimes we can get so preoccupied with serving. I, I really believe with Eli, public ministry was not his weakness. Eli obviously was somewhat of a good high priest, and he obviously was very busy with his work, and I don't believe public ministry was his weakness. In fact, what God called him out over was not his public ministry, but his private ministry with his sons. And what we see here is the boy slowly eroding into some lifestyle of cynicism and rebelliousness and skepticism. But, but is Eli really preoccupied so much with the work of ministry that he actually just completely neglects the need to be personally invested in his sons? One of the things that I would say here is God desires us to be personally and intentionally invested in those in our care, that they may truly know and walk with the Lord. Personally and intentionally invested. You see the contrast with Eli and, and, and uh, with Hannah. Hannah is making it a priority. She's has a prayer, and she has a purpose, and she renders a child over to the Lord, and she's coming back on a regular basis, and she's tending to him, and she's giving him new garments. And, and spiritually, we know all through the Old Testament, it's a picture of this, this new life in, in Christ. She's, she seems to be attending to him spiritually. And we see that Samuel grows in the presence of the Lord. And in verse 26, he's growing in stature and in favor with the Lord, and also with man. It's very clear that Hannah, from the time that he was young, you know, she says, I will wean him myself. I will get him to the temple myself. I will present him to the Lord like our parents will do today. I will dedicate him to the Lord myself. I understand my personal responsibility, my need for intentionality as it relates to the spiritual growth of my child. I believe that we need more of this in our day, like Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, that we've got to train up a child in the way he should go. This word train here, it means invest. We've got, like, it, no, you know, nobody's going to learn to do anything well unless you're invested in it. And the reality is, as parents, we've got to be invested. We've got to invest ourselves to really figure out how to do this well. And as disciple makers, we've got to be invested, personally invested, so that we have the opportunity to do this well. As parents, you can see this right here. Um, this is rice. I stole it out of the kids' ministry area uh, this morning. And so you might wonder what this rice is. It doesn't look like a whole lot of rice, but it's about, well, it is 936 pieces of rice. You might ask, why 936 pieces of rice? Well, put 936 pieces of rice in there, and that is because approximately, if you are a parent, from the time your child is born to the time that they graduate high school, you have 936 weeks with them. This is it. And every single week that goes by, it may not feel like a whole lot, just a little, that's just a little week. Here's another one, that's just another little week. And we begin to, you know, we, we look at these and they don't look like much. But the reality is, Soon, as these weeks go by, just a week, oh, this is just a year, you know, here we are. Somebody's got to clean this up, by the way. <laughs> as the weeks goes by, suddenly we begin to realize that there's a decreasing amount of weeks left with our child. And I believe that many parents, toward the end of their child's raising, they get down to kind of this point junior, senior year of high school, and suddenly you go, oh my goodness, I don't have much time left. But the reality is, from the beginning, you didn't have a lot of time left. It's all going quickly. And again, I'm not trying to be depressing, but I am trying to challenge you 
and to help you. Because what I believe should happen is we should recognize that every single week is a precious gift to us as parents. And as disciple makers, every single opportunity, we have a limited time with those who are in our care. And the question is, do we see the time for as precious as it is? Are we investing with each passing week with the kind of intentionality personally so that we can make the most of the time that we have so that one day when we get down to this point, we don't have guilt, but we have joy because we know that arrow is ready to be launched for the glory of God. My question to you is, are you invested? Are you invested, personally invested? Part of our baby dedication process that actually our family director helps us with is she basically ask parents, the parents who come today have already gotten this, begun to work through this, but what kind of person do you hope your child to be in the next 18 years? When they turn 18, by the time the jar is empty, what do you want them to to understand about God? What kind of character do you want to see in them? What kind of heart do you want them to have? What kind of life skills should they possess? And then after you look at the goals that you have, what you've got to do is to take those goals and then connect them to a weekly responsibility that you have. Sure, at times it feels like, dang it, I don't, I'm so tired, I don't want to do the, the nighttime thing, the, the Jesus Storybook Bible thing. But as a parent, I've got to know that that is a precious moment of time, and I've got to push through and take responsibility for my child's spiritual well-being, and I've got to do that time with them, because in doing that time with them, I've got to help them know that it is important in all times and in all circumstances, tired or not, to seek the Lord and to submit ourselves to Him. I've got to have a plan. Spiritual development requires intentionality and requires planning. So one of the things that I would encourage you to do, if you're a parent or if you're a disciple maker, is to be wholly invested and not to be preoccupied. Well, we'll close out our time with this. The fourth and final thing that I want to point your attention to is that we look at what it takes to really honor God with, our, with those who are in our care. Is this, number four, to be willing to confront sin and not overlook it. To be willing to confront sin and not overlook it. One of the most sad verses in the whole passage that we read today is verse 29 of chapter 2. And it says this, God sends someone to confront Eli and speaks through him and he says, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I've commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me? Why, Eli? Why, Eli, have you chosen to honor your sons above me? These guys are taking sacrifices. They, they know. The laws are clear. What should be the priest and what is not? And they're taking much more than they should have ever taken. And not only that, they're abusing women who are there in the tabernacle. They're taking advantage of them. It looks like sleeping with them. And, and Eli hears about it, but he's, he's not apparently not willing to deal with them in the way that he should have dealt with them. He goes, oh, oh, boys, you know, why are you doing this? You shouldn't be doing this. But what he should have done, say, boys, this has no right in the house of the Lord, and you no longer will serve as priest. He should have actually taken responsibility of their sin, not only just calling them out, but willing to confront them and willing to discipline them in God's way. God desires for us to call out sin, and also, I think there's a slide for this, to provide discipline to those who are in our care, that they may truly know and walk with the Lord. God wants us, with our children, to make sure that we are not more desirous of having our children like us than our children like the Lord. I think some of us as parents are scared that we want our children to love us so much that we're unwilling to confront. And this is true of any disciple maker. You could be in relationships where you want to comfort people, but you're not willing to challenge them. You want them to love you, so you're not willing to confront them and to call them out. And the reality is, our job as disciple makers and as parents is to get our kids to love the Lord, not to love us. I mean, we want our children to love us. We love them unconditionally. But the reality is, I believe that there are many of us who run the risk of overlooking 
and overlooking and overlooking and minimizing and defending and excusing our children when they sin to the point that one day those children don't even know that that sin is a big deal. And one day that begins like a snowball to grow and we find them in seasons of rebelliousness. And could those seasons have been thwarted if we as parents were quicker to step in at the onset of the sight of those small things and do what we should do, calling them out and disciplining them in the Lord? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says, For in the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son. It's a picture of discipline. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. God desires for us to call out sin and to discipline our children to know the Lord, willing to confront unwilling to overlook. I wonder today what you can learn from this. You know, we said originally our main point today is this, that God desires us to honor Him with those in our care so that they may truly know and walk with the Lord. And we've talked about these four things. Number one, being intentional and not assuming. Number two, being spiritually authentic, not just religiously active. Number three, being invested, not preoccupied. And number four, being willing to confront sin and not overlook it. And I wonder today, do these things describe you? And in what areas? You know, some of us have already released our kids, and maybe there's things that we just need to grieve to make right before the Lord. You know, if you feel conviction and guilt, the best way to channel that is just to go to God for forgiveness and then go. You can even go to your kids. I find it incredibly helpful when my own parents have come and said, I'm sorry for, and, and there's opportunity for reconciliation and restoration. Maybe that's you, but if you're in the middle of the process or whether you have kids now or you're discipling others, I, I wonder how do those, those, those four kind of meet you? Where do you have opportunity to grow? And here's how I'd encourage you. Number five, I threw in a bonus. Aren't you excited? Here's, here's how I'd encourage you. This all, if I'm, if I'm you, I'm listening to it going, dang, who could do this? Anybody feel that way? You just feel overwhelmed by it. Here's the, here's the joy. Here's the gospel. Ultimately, as we seek to honor the Lord, we have to live in this way. Just like Hannah, we have to live surrendered to Him and not self-reliant. You cannot do this work, but God can. And as you seek to honor Him and as you yearn for Him and you depend on Him and you ask of Him, God will bless. Train up a child in the way he ought to go, and in the end, God will see to them. God will see to them. We've got to trust them into God's hands. And that's exactly what these families are coming to do today. So as we close out our time of worship and our worship team comes, and I try not to spill rice everywhere, we are going to have the opportunity to respond. And, and right now, I would just encourage you, wherever you are right now in life, I, I would just encourage you, just yearn right now for God. He is a God of incredible grace and love and kindness, and He cares about your heart. And so today, I just want you to know, like, God wants your whole heart. He does. He loves you. He loves you so much that He gave His one and only Son. He gave His Son. That's, that picture of Samuel, I think, is so like the description of Jesus. He grew up in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man that we see from Luke chapter 2. But ultimately, we know that the only true and perfect priest, we, we kind of grieve Hophni and Phinehas, and even Samuel, as much as he loved the Lord, you know, he wasn't perfect. There's only one who, who is a true and perfect priest, and it's Jesus Christ. And he loves you, and he gave himself for you. He lived for your righteousness, and he died for your forgiveness. He went into the grave in your place, and he rose again to new life, and he lives today that you might look to him and have life, have a new heart, have his grace and his commitment of love, his blessing over you. It's all grace. It's not what we do. It's what He does for us. And we have the opportunity now just to render our hearts to Him. And in doing so, we have the opportunity to just commit ourselves to the Lord. Say, if you're here today, I want you to just pray, God, I want to honor you with those in my care. Maybe you're thinking about specific kids 
whether you're yours or not, whether they're kids or grandkids, maybe they're specific little ones in your life, and you just want to say right now, you want to commit them to the Lord, and in doing so, you want to commit yourself to the Lord and say, God, I want to honor you with these who are in my care. I want them, God, to know and to walk with you. That's a prayer you can pray today. That's a prayer you can pray, and God will honor that. If there's Anyone in your care in terms of just discipleship, you can also pray that for them. Anybody following after you as you follow Christ, you can just say, God, I want to honor you. I want to honor you with these people because I want them to know and walk with you. And maybe there's some specific things God's put on your heart. You can come and pray down here at the front. You can go to a prayer counselor in the back of the room at home. You can reach out with information that's on your screen to a prayer counselor right now. But let's just go to God and first render him our hearts. And secondly, let's, let's give to him those who are in our care, and let's just commit to honor him with what he's entrusted to us. Pray for them right now. God is listening. God is responding. God is blessing. Pray right now. Just pray for them. Call them by name. Commit yourself. Pray God's blessing.